One of the most counterintuitive messages for anyone to accept is their inherent badness. If you are feeling bad about yourself, let me give you a counterintuitive thought. The key to overcoming this struggle about not liking who you are is to accept that you are a terrible person. The culture says you are somebody. The Bible says you're not other than made in God's image. And so in this podcast, I am not addressing the idea of self-worth worthy because we are made in God's image. We are worthy based on the value of the Creator. The painting is worthy based on the fame and the greatness of the painter. If you have a Picasso, you have a great painting. Because the painting is great? No, not really. But because of the value that we place in Picasso, the person. And so because you are made in the image of God, you are of great value. That's what I'm calling self-worth. But I am not addressing that in this podcast. What I am addressing is the futile pursuit to feel good about ourselves outside of Christ alien righteousness. And so I titled the podcast, Knowing You're Bad is the Beginning of Being Good. I want to give you two case studies to help make this point here because we deal, I deal with so many people, engage with so many people who are struggling as they think about themselves. They 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 are depressed, they are despair in despair, they they struggle with self-pity, they look at their past failures, they go through midlife crisis. There's so many different aspects to this, and I'm not giving you a comprehensive cure, but I am giving you a major slice that we all have to come to terms with and embrace if we want to think rightly about ourselves and how we interact with others. And so I want to give you two brief case studies of two people. One is a Christian. One is not a believer. Both of them struggle similarly. And then I want to walk through a practical solution for them. Thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. I am Rick Thomas, and you're listening to Your Daily Drive. If you want to read this podcast, you can read everything that I'm going to share with you over the next few moments, and you can print off this article if you wish. Again, the title, Knowing You're Bad, is the beginning of being good. Now, dependent on how immersed you are in the psychology of the culture will be proportional to how this title of the podcast and what I have said thus far strikes you. Some people, it will be off-putting right from jump, and it will be because they really don't understand what I am talking about here. And if it is off-putting, and if you're struggling with this idea of embracing your badness as the beginning of being good, then please hang on just for a while. I think it will make sense to you if you are a believer. I I trust the counselor will show up, and if the Spirit of God does show up, he will illuminate. He will convict where he needs to convict, but he will encourage where you need to be encouraged. In fact, what you're going to find in this podcast is a lot of hope, especially if it unhooks you from a lot of bad teaching. And so if you want to read it, please go to our website and do that. If you want to talk to our team, 
about it, you can do that as well. Or maybe you have something else that you want to address. We're trying to stay an interactive ministry. We're really... We, it, it is vital to me that we be an interactive ministry, but there's a lot of cost involved in our ministry, and we're hanging on. We're trying to keep up with the traffic that we have, and we want to continue to serve our community the way that we have been. I don't want to be a monologue ministry where we're just throwing resources out there. We have enough resources already in cyberspace and and on our shelves. But we want to be an interactive ministry to where we're not just putting information out there for you to consume, but we have a place to where you can come and talk about it. And we're trying to be that way. We want to stay that way. We have been for the 11 years of this ministry, and I would appreciate it if you would pray how you could help us so that we can continue to interact with people. But it, it is labor-intensive. There's no question about that. But I do want you to come to our forums, and, and we'll try to serve you the best way that we can. Knowing you, knowing you are bad is the beginning of being good. Biff is depressed and discouraged. He keeps saying, quote, I'm not good enough. I wish I were better. I want to be a good person. Over and over again, like a mantra, I'm not good enough. I wish I were a good person. I am so unworthy. I have done so many horrible things. How could Christ love me? Do you hear what Biff is saying? Do you perceive the problem with his theology and how he practicalizes it? His functional theology I'm talking about. I want you to re-listen to his statements, but this time through a theological filter. This is how I would paraphrase what, this is how I would translate what Biff is saying. I am a terrible person. I am so bad that God cannot possibly love me. If I were not so bad, baby, God would love me. I need to be a better person. I need to make myself more presentable than I am so that God will like me. What I have just described to you in my interpretation of his, of his words, I have described Biff's true functional theology. Now, granted, he has an intellectual theology that says, quote, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. That's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, and you know that passage very, very well. And so Biff has an intellectual theology. He knows what the Bible says. And I would say that Biff is truly a Christian, but what I am talking about is his functional theology. The passage in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is what he knows, but that is not what he is practically trust. That is not where he is practically trusting where it matters most. It is hard sometimes for people to distinguish between what they know Bible truth, and what they are authentically practicing, which is their practical theology. Here's another illustration. I was talking with my friend Mabel, a drug addict. Her name is not Mabel, but this, this story is absolutely true. 
And she tried her best to convince me that she was a good person. She said, quote, I am a good person. I think she was high. She was stoned when she was saying that. Her hope was when we ended our conversation that I would walk away thinking she was a good person. People like this are needy. She needs other people. In this case, she needs me to agree with her self-imposed high self-estimation of herself, which is called, it's called high self-esteem. To maintain her delusion, she needs me to agree with her. It could go like this. Here's a paraphrase. Please love me the way I love me so I can keep this love that I have for myself. If you love me, I will feel good about myself. If you don't love me, I will feel bad about myself. I need you to love me. Will you love me? If you don't, you will force me to find someone else to love me because I need people to love me for me to feel good about myself. I chose not to tell her what I was thinking at the moment when she proudly and succinctly said, I am a good person. It did not seem appropriate or helpful for me to begin teaching her sound theology, especially the doctrines of salvation, the doctrine of humanity, the doctrine of, of sin. She was not ready to receive the testimony of Scripture. Here are some testimonies from Scripture that she was not ready to see, receive. First Timothy 1, Paul said, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Or as the King James Version says, the chief of sinners. Mabel was not ready to hear the testimony of Scripture. Or in Romans 3, None is righteous, no, not one, no one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become, here it is, worthless. No one does good, not even one. Mabel doesn't want to wrestle with the realities of her wretchedness. In her mind, she wants to think of herself as better than what the testimony of scriptures says she is and what Christians throughout church history have believed and taught. If only she could convince me of her goodness. Again, she said, I am a good person. And if she could convince me of her mantra, then things would be okay in her world. She would feel better about herself. My acceptance of her inherent goodness would doubly affirm her delusional, I'm okay, you're okay, fixation. This worldview is the damnableness of our culture's self-esteem teaching. The culture teaches nobody can be wrong, nobody can lose, everybody gets a trophy because it would be bad for your self-esteem. They say it's damaging to our self-esteem if we think we are bad people. It is not suitable for our self-esteem to think less of ourselves, but the Bible appeals to us to think less of ourselves, which is the only way to be truly free. And that's why I began this podcast by saying one of the most counterintuitive messages for anyone to accept is their inherent badness. If you're feeling bad about yourself, the key 
to overcoming this struggle is to accept that you are a terrible person. That is a counterintuitive message. Both Biff and Mabel do not want to think this way. They do not want to be unworthy. One, Biff, he is a Christian. He is a believer. The other, Mabel, is not a believer, but they both struggle similarly. They are self-righteous, which means they have a greater than, better than attitude with how they think about themselves. For them to change, to experience transformation, it will be vital for them to accept the fact they are wretchedly unworthy of God's favor. There is no other way for them to receive his unearned, unmerited grace for their lives. In Mark 2.17, Jesus said it this way, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Jesus wants bad people, not good people. He went on to say in that text, the second sentence says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. But Biff is wallowing in his badness, struggling with the fact that he is a bad person. He doesn't like the testimony of Scripture. And Mabel is double double downing on this idea. I am a good person. She says the problem with Biff and Mabel is they have a high view of themselves. A high view of yourself is simply self-righteousness biblically defined. And because they have a high view of themselves, it discourages them from thinking they are not as good as they try to deceive themselves and deceive others into being. I am a good person, she says. Have you ever expected to get a good grade in school, only to get a bad grade? In a sense, that is what Biff and Mabel fear. That is their worst nightmare. They so badly want to get a good grade. They want a good report. They want me to give them a good report. They want you to give them a good report. They want you to say that they are good so they can feel better about themselves, but they keep failing and their unwillingness to embrace the reality of being an utter failure. Biblically speaking, we call it total depravity. It distresses them. They have removed themselves from the testimony of Scripture while developing a practical theology that holds them to a higher standing than what the Bible does. They persist in convincing themselves of their higher grade worthiness though the reality of their lives is not cooperating with what they are trying to manipulate themselves into believing. And they will try to convince you that they are good people and they deserve better than what they are getting. This tactic, whether wittingly or unwittingly, is a trap that you will need to walk them through if they are to have any hope of being free from themselves and free from needing others to appreciate them, applaud them. Biff thinks he would feel better if he could make himself not so bad. When he sees who he is in the mirror, discouragement settles into his mind. Mabel is similar when she surveys the landscape of her life. She becomes discouraged. And rather than wallowing in the grips of depression, she turns to drugs. 
but her pick-me-up to elevate herself in her mind eventually plummets her back down to the reality of, of who she is and where she is. And because Biff is a Christian, he won't turn to such ungodly escapes. He puts himself through the cycles of self-pity and despair. In the end, both of them are addicts. One is addicted to illegal drugs as a pick-me-up to feel better because she doesn't want to deal with the reality of her depravity, and the other is addicted to self-pity. Neither of them can lift themselves by their bootstraps, and so they turn to their drugs of choice. Both of these folks need to come to terms with their unworthiness before God. They are putrid through and through, just like you, just like me. They are the worst of the worst, the lowest of the low. When you hear what I just said, where does your mind go? Do you, uh, here's this, here's the paragraph again. Both of these folks need to come to terms with their unworthy, unworthiness before God. They are putrid through and through. They are the worst of the worst, the lowest of the low. When you hear that, where does your mind go? Do you begin to think about the victory you have in Jesus? Or do you begin to think about how horrible and damaging that kind of thinking must be? The gospel-centered person hears that paragraph, and they quickly index forward to the victory that they have in Christ. This kind of person does not see the testimony of unworthiness as depressing, but they see it as a necessary step to get to Christ. But the self-righteous person will disdain the thought of being unworthy while touting their strengths and their accolades. Listen to Isaiah 64, 6. You know this passage of Scripture, but hear it again, hear it again in the context of this podcast. Isaiah said, we have all become like one who is unclean. And all of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. For Biff and Mabel, the biblical way up is to climb out of their degradation, their depravity, by their power. For them to feel better about themselves. Let me restate that so that you understand. For Biff and Mabel, the biblical way up is not to climb out of their degradation. The biblical way up is not to climb out of your depravity by your own bootstraps, by your own ability, by your own strengths. But for them to feel better about themselves, they must answer and, and shout, Amen, I am a terrible person, and I cannot fix myself. Ezekiel said it this way in 16.6, And when I passed by you and saw you wallowing in your blood... Without question, you and I were pitifully guilty before the Lord. We were standing in God's courtroom, condemned, awaiting sentencing. There was no doubt that we were responsible for the greatest crime ever committed. We sinned against God. The evidence was irrefutable. We stopped our own mouths, and there was not a thing we could do to extricate ourselves from the accusation of evil that was against us. Though we wanted to think better about ourselves, we could, we could feel better. We could not feel better about ourselves. There was no argument that we could proffer. 
God, the prosecuting attorney, made the evidence plain, convincing, and beyond any shadow of a doubt. We were guilty before our Maker, and we were at His mercy. Self-salvation was not an option. Paul wrote about it this way in Romans 3. This is 21, 21 through 24. He says, But now the righteousness, righteousness of God has been manifested. Apart from the law, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. In the depths of our despair and unworthiness, we learned about the most incredible news ever told. The gospel story came into view. We saw Calvary. There is only one answer for unworthy people. Embrace the worthiness of another. The sick and the helpless cry out to the physician. Biff is a believer who needs to reacquaint himself with the gospel. He needs to understand that the doctrine of justification means practically what it means practically. God the judge slammed the gavel down and said, not guilty, that was it. Jesus finished it once and for all. Biff was legally declared not guilty by the judge of the the universe. He was a free man when Christ took his unrighteousness and gave him his Christ righteousness, which we call an alien righteousness. There was nothing else for Biff to do, and there never will be anything else for him to do. God Almighty declared him innocent, not because he conjured up some kind of merit that won God over to his side. To the contrary, Christ won the Father over through his sacrificial death on Biff's behalf. It was the works of Christ that persuaded the Father to accept Biff as his dear son. Mabel, who is an unbeliever, she needs her first acquaintance with the gospel in a salvific way. Biff, who is a believer, who can tell you what justification means, and will use Ephesians Ephesians 2, 8, 9 to prove his point. But functionally, practically, his functional theology is to the contrary, which is why he stays and struggles with bouts of despair. But Mabel does not know the Lord, and she needs to hear the gospel in a practical, salvific way. She must be born again. She needs to hear and embrace the good news about the Savior's atoning death. She needs to believe his death was for her, and she can only be the good person she currently deceives herself to be through Christ alone. She must find her goodness in the works of Christ rather than hers. And rather than saying or trying to convince me, I am a good person, the beginning of her victory starts when she says, I am a bad person. I am the chief of sinners, the foremost sinners, the worst of the worst. I am unworthy, according to Paul's testimony, what he wrote in Romans 3, 10, 11, and 12. For both Biff and Mabel... They have flipped justification and sanctification in their thinking and their practice. According to sound theological teaching, justification always precedes sanctification and is not dependent on sanctification. 
meaning you are justified and it's not dependent upon your works. Justification comes first. It precedes what you do. Your obedience or the works that you do, it flows out of a grateful heart for what Christ has done, but your sanctification does not make you justified. But according to Biff's and Mabel's practical theology, they believe that sanctification precedes justification. And their sanctification, their good works, their good behaviors is what makes them right with God. It's, it's what makes them acceptable. It's what they want other people to see and to believe and to know about them. If they can work enough or do the right things, they will be acceptable or justified. They would say, I would feel better about myself as they think about themselves. Biff will argue with you because he is a Christian and he understands to a degree, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, you'll have to carefully walk him through how he functionally practices his theology, which is contrary to the Bible, and what he may know, probably knows, intellectually. He embraces a form of legalism, a person who feels good about himself because of what he does. Your goal would be to help him see these three things. Number one, his ongoing self-pity about his badness is wrong-headed. Number two, he must accept his badness to see his genuine need for the one who is perfectly good. His name is Jesus. And number three, once he repents of his self-imposed righteousness, culturally speaking, his high self-esteem, he will be able to receive God's unearned mercy. Some people believe if you talk about your badness exclusively, that you are sin-centered and there is no grace in your life. I agree. I agree with that. If you talk about your badness exclusively, you are sin-centered like you are on a, like you are on a, a sin hunt. It is a type of worm theology. You are sin-centered, sin-centered, and strictly sin-centered thinking mocks Calvary. Paul had no qualms about announcing to the world at the end of his life that he was the chief of sinners, but he did not stop with his badness. Yes, he was the worst of the worst and bad to the bone, but he also tells us that God showed mercy to him. He says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. If you stop there, he is sin-centered, and, and that's, that mocks Calvary. But he goes on to say, but I received mercy. You want to hold both of those truths in tandem because both of them will make you whole. Jerry Bridges said it this way, and I'll paraphrase, but from one of his books, and I don't remember it exactly. It may be in the book, The Gospel for Real Life, but he said in one of his books, a diamond is most magnificent when placed against a black velvet backdrop. So true. Both of those truths held in tandem. The black velvet backdrop is our depravity. And the diamonds is God's transforming. transforming. The diamond is Christ. And we, we put the righteousness of Christ against our black velvet backdrop. Then those diamonds just explode off of the black, black velvet backdrop. The more you are aware of your badness, and hopeless ability to repair your wretchedness, the more you will be strengthened by the grace of God. If you are unwilling to accept the testimony of Scripture regarding your badness, 
you will limit and truncate the powerful grace that God offers to through humble, broken, and unworthy people. The title of this podcast is Knowing Your Bad is the Beginning of Being Good. I have a call to action at the end of this podcast. I would love for you to, as you print this article off or as you send the link to someone else or as you share it on social media, make sure that you talk about the call to action questions because they're here for a purpose so that you'll take the time to pause and reflect on what is written here. And then hopefully as you engage the counselor, the Spirit of God, and as you engage the community, another person minimally, that you can work through these questions and the content in this podcast and article, and that it will help you to cement it in your mind. Here's a question for you. Are you able to understand and embrace your badness? Why or why not? Number two, does this awareness of your badness, does it tempt you to create your style of goodness? You see, Mabel was trying to create her style of goodness. She wanted, she wanted me to believe that she was a good person because she couldn't embrace her badness. Or does your understanding of your badness, does it propel you to accept the righteousness of Christ alone? Number three, when you do bad things, are you tempted to balance the scales by doing good things? Number four, when you do bad things, do you run to the only good person who can make it right? If you don't do this, why not? And then finally, number five, did you know your good works do not make you any more saved and your evil works do not make you any less saved? If you'd like to talk about the podcast, please come to our website, rickthomas.net. If you want to read this, everything that I've just shared with you, again, is titled, Knowing You're Bad is the beginning of being good. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.